0: Hello, welcome to Embodied Astrology. My name is Renee. I'm your host here in this space. I'm a somatic educator and intuitive and consulting astrologer, and I'm excited to be here with you for this special episode where I'm going to be talking about Venus and looking at some specific elements of Venus's current cycle And thinking about what these elements mean in regards to a longer timeline and also an application to current events and our personal lives and natal charts. So, in the first part of today's episode, I'll give you a summary of Venus's current cycle. And I'm recording this on March 28th, 2021. And the cycle that I'm thinking about is going to take us all the way into December of 2021. But even if you're listening, far beyond that point in space or time, you might be interested in this cycle because it's definitely one to watch. And um, I'll also be talking about how the current cycle ties into the past and to the future. At the end of the episode, I'm going to offer some suggestions for interpreting Venus in your own chart and working with the next eight months or so, um, which again, takes us into the end of the year. This episode is also special for another reason, which is that it's a fundraiser and call for support. Um, So between the beginning and the end where I'm going to talk about Venus, I'm also going to include an excerpt of a recent conversation I had with my friend, who's a very special person named Minerva, who has started a very special project called Roots Healing. Um, Minerva has a background in sociology and public policy. She's a yoga teacher, an Ayurvedic wellness counselor. A priestess of Ifa, and currently she's also a doctoral student in psychology with a focus on death, dying, and grief. And Minerva is currently trying to purchase land in her ancestral homeland of the Dominican Republic um, for a permanent home for her roots healing um, project. And this project, I think, is so connected. To Venus and to Venus's current cycle. Um, as you'll hear about in the episode, Venus is currently in Aries and it made an aspect a couple of days ago that uh, was really powerful in Minerva's chart. So I'm really excited to include her here in this episode and to use this episode to um, uplift her project and hopefully to help gain support for it. Um, so before I get into it, I just want to let you know a little bit more about Minerva's project. And I'm going to read to you directly from her GoFundMe page about the why of what she's trying to do. And her GoFundMe page is linked in the show notes. So please definitely check it out. I'm going to be encouraging you to do that um, throughout this episode. Uh, Okay. So in Minerva's words, It has been a dream of mine for almost a decade now to be able to give Roots Healing a physical space to call home on my ancestral lands of the Dominican Republic. Why the Dominican Republic, you may ask? Because by having its own space in DR, we would be rewriting what it means to be a retreat center and really bridge the gap between local community and Roots' larger community. Not only would it mean reclaiming and healing the land, it would also mean Roots Healing becomes the first Dominican queer woman-owned retreat center in the Dominican Republic, a center to host our own yoga and meditation retreats, POC yoga teacher trainings, death, dying, and grief work retreats, and also other retreats, especially to fellow Black and Brown creatives needing a space to congregate at costs affordable to their communities a retreat center with environmental justice informing not only the way we build the center, but how we run it, farm-to-table food with Ayurvedic nutrition guiding the process, community access to events, everything local, and equitable pay to all employees. So um, this sounds like an amazing space, an amazing place, and something that I feel is really needed and essential in the world. Um, as I've talked about for a long time here on the Embodied Astrology platform and in the other spaces where I work, I really believe that uh, somatic healing um, is a, a critical component of collective healing, of political healing, and of global healing. If you're not familiar with the word somatic, refers to the soma, to the body, to the material of our bodies. And our bodies Of course our living archives of history as embodiments and um, uh, translators really of the pasts from which we have come and that have made us we carry the the wounds and the wound patterns as well as the resilience and the strength and the gifts of our ancestors and I want to include the land and the earth, and the animals and the plants, um, as our ancestors, as well. And projects like Minerva's that are working to bridge the gap between um, a kind of a profitable s- center or space um, and the local community in which it uh, arises from are so necessary right now. I know a lot of yoga teachers and um, movement. Um, facilitators listen to this podcast. I was a yoga teacher for 15 years. And for those of us in this field, um, the idea of retreat is something that I think is pretty central to a lot of our practices. Even if we're going on retreat in our own homes, going on retreat for half an hour to just sit with ourselves, being able to move out of the daily grind of our lives, at least for some small amount of time, is so important for our healing and not only for our personal healing, but for the healing of our relationships and our communities. To be able to take a step back, to be nourished, to have our needs taken care of, and to be able to practice and absorb ourselves in practice is such a gift and such an opportunity and such a deep, deep healing My personal experience working in this field is that most of the opportunities for retreat, at least that kind of get put out into the world, are accessible only to people who have a fair amount of money to be able to access them. A lot of the retreat centers are white-owned. Many of them are foreign-owned. As you'll hear Minerva talk about, the Dominican Republic, um, I think, is is one of the um, most touristic I don't know if that's the right word, places in the Caribbean and uh, there isn't a high percentage of Dominican owned um, and particularly uh, locally resilient and uh, collaborative spaces. So we need these kinds of spaces. And even if you're not a person who's going to go on retreat in one of these spaces, um, you still need these spaces in your world. All of us need spaces to retreat. All of us need spaces where we can heal and where we can access teachers and teachings that resonate with us in our embodied experience. So, I really hope that you will check out Minerva's GoFundMe page. Um, On that page, she also notes that companies with female founders perform 63% better than those founded by males, and yet less than 10% of all venture capital deals go to women, people of color, and uh, the LGBTQ community. And in 2019, only 2.7% of venture capital went towards female founded companies. That's crazy to me. Um, So we need crowdfunding. We need mutual aid. And Minerva needs us. (laughs) Um, So please check out her GoFundMe. And uh, yeah, keep listening because you'll hear a lot more from her in just a little bit. Um, Now, why is this episode a fundraiser? Why am I talking about this kind of thing? Well, one of the main significations of Venus um, as the planetary ruler of Taurus, all signs, Taurus is a sign, have planetary rulers, Venus is a planet. And <clears throat> I digress. So, one of the main significations of Venus and of Taurus is wealth. Wealth can, of course, be considered in many, many different ways, and all of them might be resonant on some level with Venus. But the Venusian Tauran aspect of wealth specifically has to do with material wealth money, resources, uh, valuable objects that can ostensibly be traded for money or which would grant power, prestige to the owner, and of course, land, property. Those of you that have been following astrology are aware that the outer planet Uranus is currently transiting Taurus, and it transits Taurus uh, between 2018 and 2026, Uranus is commonly considered as a symbol for revolution, upheaval, change, and awakening. And with Uranus less than halfway through its transit of Taurus currently, I think we can already see how many of the Taurian themes, and again, think about wealth, material resources, including food, uh, land, and property, are being revolutionized and upheaved, hopefully. (laughs) it seems to me that there is also significant awakening in regards to these themes and a pressing global need for redistribution of wealth and power and reparation and redress for communities that have been historically and systemically exploited. So during Uranus's transit through Taurus, we will probably continue to see a lot of instability in economies. Uh, Obviously, there's a lot of climate instability, and there is the huge Uh, gap, the gap of inequality and pretty extreme disparity between those who have wealth and those who do not, that has really been laid bare by the COVID pandemic. And I think what we're seeing right now has the potential to lead to some kind of rebalancing or redistribution. The more that people are willing to think about it, talk about it, ideate around it, and really look at how these systems of access and wealth have been set up to perpetuate exploitation and extraction uh, of human labor, of environmental resource. And we really can't afford this anymore if we want to have a planet to live on. And certainly if we want to have vibrant and healthy communities, we have to change the way that we are working with resources and the ways that we're working with wealth. And Minerva's project is such an inspiring example of something that I'm seeing all over the place right now. And I really want to uplift that at this time where there's a lot of chaos and a lot of unknown and a lot of really horrifying and tragic news, um, there's also so much resilience and there's so much creativity. And I'm seeing this everywhere. I'm seeing people uh, fed up with the status quo, People ready to use their resources to change the way that resources are used. And more and more, uh, people recognizing that healing and embodiment and wellness um, and attending to food and land and you know the simplicity of our bodies, that these are absolutely essential components for the revolution that we need, which is an evolution away from top-down, hierarchical, authoritarian, supremacist models of power and control that continue to seek wealth and power and control through extraction, through exploitation. Okay, so I'm excited to share some of the conversation uh, with Minerva with you in just a little bit, and I hope you'll enjoy meeting her here. Um, I also want to let you know that I'll be donating 100% of the proceeds for all of my client readings in April and May to Minerva and the Roots Healing Project. Um, I've been taking a break from one-on-one sessions for a while. I had a really long waiting list and um, was kind of trying to get through uh, some personal projects. And so if you've been waiting to receive a reading from me, Now is your chance to sign up, and I have several individual sessions, a few couple sessions, and also some group sessions available. And you know I always try and keep my work financially accessible, so along with the set cost sessions, I also have a number of sessions that are going to be available through a raffle, um, which you can enter by donating directly to Roots Healing. So if you stick around uh, to the end of the episode, I'm going to give you a full download on all of those sessions, and where to find them and all of that and you can also find the information in the show notes or on my website embodiedastrology.com okay so once again this is a three-part episode and in part one i'm going to tell you a little bit about venus and its current cycle in part two you will hear from minerva and learn a little bit more about roots healing And then I'll be back for a wrap-up with part three, and I'll give you my suggestions for working with Venus in your own life and your own chart. Okay, part one, a little astronomy first. Venus is the second closest planet to the Sun. Its orbit is between the Earth and Mercury, and Venus, as well as all the other planets, has a somewhat circular orbit, so it's kind of silly to try and define where or when one of its cycles truly begins. But in relationship to astrology, which is, of course, a tradition of myth and storytelling and making significance out of astronomical symbols, we can track Venus's cycles through its conjunctions with the Sun. A conjunction is when two or more celestial objects appear together from our vantage point on Earth. So in accordance with the oral traditions and myths that have given rise to astrology, Venus begins her cycle at the inferior conjunction of the Sun and the inferior or the interior conjunction occurs when Venus is retrograde and also when it's closest to the earth. Um, and then at the midpoint of the cycle, we have the superior or the exterior conjunction, which is when Venus is the farthest from the earth or on the far side of the sun. And I just want to let you know here that the words inferior and superior are are astronomical terms, they're not judgments, Um, they're not a qualifying term. So the inferior conjunction or the interior conjunction refers to the Earth and Venus being on the same side of the sun, while the superior conjunction refers to the Earth and Venus being on the opposite sides of the sun. And I tend to switch back and forth, interior, inferior, exterior, superior. (laughs) I hope I don't lose you with those. Because of the discrepancies between the orbital speed of the Earth and those of other planets, there is a visual phenomenon called retrograde motion. You've definitely heard of this. You've heard of Mercury retrograde. So when planets are retrograde, it is uh, an apparition, right? Something that appears to us. It's not actually the planet's... um, Moving backwards, but it's similar to when you're in a car next to a train and they're moving at different speeds, and then it seems or it appears that one is uh, moving backwards. So that's kind of what happens with planetary retrograde. And uh, when planets are retrograde from our vantage point on Earth, it's also when there's a transition in their visibility for us when they become visible either in the morning uh, before the sun rises or in the evening after the sun sets. So when Venus is retrograde and it's orbiting close to the earth and it makes its interior conjunction, this is the transition um, at the interior conjunction of Venus becoming a morning star rising uh, before the sun. And when Venus is in direct motion, and it forms the exterior conjunction, this is the transition of becoming an evening star invisible at night. Um, Okay, so that's just a little bit of that. Uh, I also want to let you know that a full Venus cycle from interior conjunction to interior conjunction takes 584 days. It's about 1.6 Earth years. (laughs) Um, And after about eight years, Venus will complete five of its cycles. Uh, And sometimes you'll hear cycles around the sun referred to as synodic cycles. So Venus returns to a quote unquote starting point, um, or basically the same place it was eight years ago. at at these points of its synodic cycles. And that means that its retrogrades or its conjunctions with the sun pretty much happen at the same place that they did eight years ago. So the eight-year cycle is really important um, in relationship to Venus and to the Venus cycle. And this is where we find ourselves now um, at the publishing of this episode. And I'm recording again on March 28th. And this is just three days past the superior conjunction of Venus and the Sun, um, which occurred here where I am in the Pacific uh, U.S. on March 25th. Um, so Venus will soon—if it's—I don't think it is quite yet, but it will soon become visible in the evening sky. Venus's apparition as morning star or evening star has been observed and studied for millennia. Um, There are many mythologies related to its cycles, notably for me as a student of tropical astrology, the myths of the Sumerian goddess um, Inanna uh, and also the Mesopotamian goddess Ishtar um, have a lot to do with Venus. And both Inanna and Ishtar were goddesses associated with love, beauty, sex, war, justice, and political power. Um, and both of them share a key story, which involves their descent into the underworld. And as they descend into the underworld, they have to pass through seven gates. And at these gates, they're they're judged um, and there's a judgment um, that they have hubris or ego and as they pass through these gates, they're stripped of their material associations. So the goddess loses her crown, her necklace, her corset, etc. And at the very end, as she reaches the underworld, she loses her life. And this uh, then uh, results in um, a whole other part of the myth where basically. Um, These helpers are sent uh, to to help her move out of the underworld. They have to talk to the queen of the underworld, which is her sister. Um, In trying to gain her her freedom or her release, they give ear to the sister who's in deep pain. Um, And they're sympathetic to her pain. They don't try and fix her. They just listen. Um, In gratitude, she releases Inanna, She releases the the Queen of Heaven, um, who gets her life back and then gets to ascend through these gates. And so the descent and ascent of Inanna, Ishtar, Venus um, might be considered symbolically as a descent into the underworld, as a period of loss or um, a, a cycle in which we have to Give away certain elements of our ego where we have to look at our own (laughs) hubris, our own um, misperceptions, our egoic attachments, where we have to spend some time in some kind of self-reflection, in some kind of period of of transition or transformation, and then we rise again. And so as we consider Venus's cycle, um, we also want to consider these phases. And I think it's interesting that the word phase originates from the ancient Greek word, uh, which I probably won't pronounce right because I don't speak Greek, uh, but phasis or phasis, um, which means bringing to light or or appearance or showing. Um, And In in the ancient world, uh, when a planet appeared after being absent from the heavens, when it was in the sun's rays, when it wasn't visible to us, this was a time of reverence. It was a time for enunciation. Um, So when we think about these phases of Venus kind of going through um, her cycles as morning star, evening star, I also want to think about uh, how we move through our own cycles, how we move through our own phases. So it's a little bit counterintuitive, um, at least it is for me when I think about this, but after the superior conjunction, when Venus rises um, as an evening star, this is actually her ascent of her coming out of the underworld, uh, visible at night. Um, And then uh, at the inferior conjunction, when Venus is retrograde, this is the beginning of her descent. So... Now let's think about these phases, these periods uh, when Venus is traveling between her uh, morning star phase and her evening star phase or when we think about her moving into her descent or her ascent and let's put this into a timeline. So as I mentioned just a couple of days before recording this on March 25th or 26th depending on your time zone, uh, Venus formed the superior conjunction to the sun and in tropical astrology this event occurred at five degrees of aries this is the midpoint of venus's cycle the superior conjunction if you think all the way back to june of 2020 this is when venus was retrograde and it formed the inferior interior conjunction with the sun And that conjunction took place at 13 degrees of Gemini in the tropical zodiac. Now, I'd also like you to think back to March of 2017. This is when Venus formed an inferior conjunction with the sun uh, in early Aries. And then think all the way back to March of 2013, when Venus formed a superior conjunction of the sun uh, in also in early degrees of Aries. So again, we can track Venus's cycle uh, through eight-year segments of time. And as I mentioned at the beginning, it's uh, maybe somewhat... Silly, no, maybe that's not quite the right word, but it may be a little arbitrary to define when the cycle begins and ends, but we can at least see that cyclical time is happening as we look at these eight year segments. So something is happening right now that corresponds with something that happened in March of 2013, that corresponds with something that happened in March of 2017, and that also corresponds with something that happened in June of 2020. There are a lot of different ways to watch cycles in astrology, many, many different cycles. These are circular paths that the planets are taking. So there is constantly relationship and constantly cycles that we can look towards. And I have to say that all of them are illuminating. And whenever we're considering these cycles, uh, there's always <laughs> there's always information that's there. And in the third part of this podcast, I'm going to come back and offer some suggestions on thinking into the significance of these cycles. But for now, just make a note for yourself and think back to March of 2013, March of 2017, and June of 2020. And you might want to consider any kinds of recurring themes or life lessons or experiences that seem to thread between those spans of time and because this is just one moment in time and not a fixed destination i also want to give a nod to the future and particularly i want to give a nod to the end of 2021 and the beginning of 2022 which is when venus will um it will station retrograde in december of 2021 it will form its interior conjunction with the sun in january of 2022 and then i also want to give a nod uh A couple of years to the future, March of 2026, when Venus will form its next inferior conjunction in Aries. Okay, so I'm going to leave you with those dates to ponder. And now I'm going to introduce you to Minerva. And she's going to talk a little bit about her journey um, in her own practice in her life with roots healing. She's going to be talking about What's been happening for her? In 2013, 2017, and now into the present, and her future vision and goals. Um, As I mentioned, I think Minerva's project is so related to uh, what I resonate with as some of the kind of like high vibration Venusian potential, which is care and well being, and health and wealth, and relationship and right relationship to land and resource. And once again, I really want to encourage you to check out Minerva's GoFundMe. And if you're interested in working with me and you want to give Roots Healing a boost, um, sign up for one of my fundraising client sessions. And I can't wait to work with you there. So I will be back uh, in part three to follow up with the Venus Cycles. And here's Minerva.
1: start before this rendition of my life started eight years ago and and that's like you know way back in undergrad i was a sociology and a psychology double major and just always really really um interested in those topics for you know plethora of reasons and then after uh, after undergrad, I thought that my role uh, in, this, in this world was to, you know, be an organizer and also, you know, work for nonprofits and, and, you know, quote unquote, help the world in that way. And I worked for the International Rescue Committee for seven years of my life and two different roles. And while I was there, I, you know, thought that I figured out my next steps in life pretty well. And, And that was back in 2013 when I thought, you know, I was gonna, well, actually, so let me back up. I, I got, while I was working at the, at the IRC, I was also going to NYU for my master's, um, in public administration to focus on international management right because that's what i thought i thought i wanted to you know i have this like really good um logistical managerial skills i you know i give all credit to my virgo rising Virgo skills Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and so i thought like you know that's kind of like what i wanted to do with my life and and then i i thought like no I, i really want to you know be more in community with with my community. And so I was like, "Oh, I, I, I want to go back to school. I want to get my PhD in sociology and education so that, you know, I could be a professor because I remember like how influential my professors were when I was an undergrad and how important it is for, you know, us to, to see us in these places and these positions, et cetera. And, you know, I thought I had my whole life figured out, I applied to, you know, Columbia University for their sociology and education, Ph.D. program. I applied for this, like, fellowship with the uh, New York City, and I thought I was, you know, going to do it. I had my whole lifeline, right? I was going to do this fellowship for a year, and then I was going to start graduate school, and I was going to quit my job, and, you know, everything was, you know, aligning, and I was you know going towards the final rounds of, of all those things and then on the same day pretty much march it was like march of 2013 i got rejected both from the fellowship and um school and you know the person that i was dating at the time also broke up with me that same day <laughs> so i was like all right, universe, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. obviously, I don't know what I'm doing, right? And so that's, you know, I can joke about it now, but at, at the time, like, I was really devastated, and I remember laying in bed, crying, and thinking to myself, like, okay, like, I completely surrender, because I really thought I had nothing figured out, and everything just crumbled from underneath me, so, you know... I surrender and just please guide me, show me what I'm supposed to do. Like, you know, what direction I'm supposed to take. And, you know, there's a term in yoga that I learned during yoga school, uh, which is Ishvara Panidana, which means, you know, complete surrender to the divine. And, you know, I think back to that, that night in my bed crying, and I'm like, that is the first time that I had that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, It was like after after this like utter surrender to you know giving up what I thought my life was supposed to be and being like, okay, I need some guidance, you know, that's kind of like when um, the idea of becoming a yoga teacher and you know doing a yoga teacher training in the fall of that same year, and kind of things just started to align. Like when I kind of made those decisions, everything started to fall in place and you know, the, the yoga teacher training was going to end in December of 2013. My lease for my apartment was up in 2013. And, you know, even, even the decision that I made to quit my job, right? I was like, no, I'm just going to quit my job and you know, I'm going to go on this journey. I need to, you know, I'm going to go on this. I called it my ancestral healing journey and I was like, I need to kind of sit with myself. I need to get down to the roots of myself, of my own essence, and my own ancestors, and figure this out, and, you know, not even knowing, in retrospect, it's so easy to be like, oh, like, those were the seeds that I was planting for root healing for where I am now, but in the moment, you don't really, you don't realize it, right, so, and I remember everyone thinking, like, you know, Minerva, you're insane, what do you mean you're going to quit your job, like, you know, where, what are you going to do, like, how are you just going to, all these things that, you know, people say when you're just kind of like, okay, I'm completely changing my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I and I have no plan, right? Because they're just like, like, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to go spend some time with my grandma in Florida. I'm going to go to Puerto Rico. That's where my mom's side of the family is from. I'm going to go to Dominican Republic. This is where my dad's side of the family is from. And, and I was thinking after that, like, know i'm gonna go to california i'm just gonna move to california and everyone's like you don't know anybody you've never been there and i was like yeah i don't know i don't know i don't i don't care i'm just gonna do it Mm -hmm. and um and it you know the lines you know it it ended up being that my job phased my position out so i was able to you know leave leave my position when i was planning on quitting (laughs) right with like severance so it just really beautifully aligned and you know I I did my travels and it was really hard (laughs) it was really hard because it was the first time that I actually created space in my life and you know one of the tools of oppression that capitalism uses is to keep us so busy that we become afraid of space and stillness and silence right Mm -hmm. and so um you know so so those those months were you know really rough for me and and you know i ended up eventually moving to california you know not really knowing anybody not really having a job but things at the very last minute kind of you know just aligned and i started you know teaching yoga you know that was like my bread and butter while living in in the Bay Area in California, and you know, I just kind of threw myself into being a yoga teacher and continuing to to take trainings. And at this point, I've taken over five hundred and fifty hours of like yoga teacher training. I've taught so many hours. I don't I don't know how many hours, right? But you know, enough enough. As I joke, enough to make me um, an ex- registered yoga teacher right Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and you know even and I while living in the Bay Area I got certified as an Ayurvedic wellness counselor because you know I I am of the mindset that if we're going to we're gonna heal if we're gonna be free right if we're gonna break these internalized chains as I like to say then we have to we have to do it on all levels, right? There's, there's levels to these things. So it's not just about, you know, your physical body. It's not just about your mental space. It's about both and, you know, your emotional space, your spiritual space. So just all of those different layers. And, you know, I really, really resonate with the science of Ayurveda and the ways in which like, you know, the the way in which they look at the body and how they approach um, healing and medicine and, you know, just this really ancient wisdom of being connected to the earth, right? And being connected to your body and being connected to your spirit and and understanding that when we do feel sick, when we are sick, that it's not just just a one-off thing, right? So you don't just look at uh, like for example, if you you know have hives, you're not just going to look at hives, right? You're going to look at the whole body. And what are you eating? You know, what are you watching? How many hours are you sleeping? Let's take your pulse and you know what's going on in your mind and what's going on with your spirit, because all of these things affect us. So you know that's the reason why I'm really drawn to to Ayurvedic medicine. And then you know just in terms of like my spiritual practice you know from when i was a young child i i always was on a spiritual journey of trying to kind of find something that um how can i say this like i since a child have always been trying to come home to my own ancestral practices mm-hmm. right um and you know, I, as an adult, I finally made my, my way back to Ifara, which is, you know, something that is practiced on my father's side of the family. But, you know, my mom and my, my dad split when I was young, so I wasn't really raised um, with, like, my dad or my dad's mom. So it took me searching my whole life to kind of come full circle. And it wasn't until after both my paternal grandmother and my father passed away that I learned that they indeed were a part of this practice. And so, you know, part of the practice, you know, you, you get, you know, readings, you get the pass. And you know, I was always told like you, your gifts come from your paternal side. And, and I'm just kind of like, huh? Huh? <laughs> and it, it was only after their passing, that you know, all of the dots started to connect and things started to make sense. And so, three, almost three years ago, you know, I was initiated as a priestess in the practice of the Iya Oya. And uh, you know, Oya is the Orisha of the wind and the marketplace and transformation. And so, when I kind of look at my life and how things are just kind of always rapidly changing. I'm like, yep, Mm -hmm. I'm definitely a child of the wind.
0: (laughs) I just love listening to people talk and looking at their chart while they talk because it's like I I can follow what you're saying through your placements. And one thing that I think is very exceptional about your chart is that you have an angular placement with Neptune. So Neptune is conjunct to the root of your chart or what's called the IC. And whenever a planet is conjunct to one of the angles, and there are four cardinal angles in a chart, um, it gives it such incredible power. And the IC is your root. It's like, this is the ground that you stand on. This is the root of your spine. These are your roots, <laughs> you know, you and, um, and where you come from, I think, you know, in terms of your lineage and your ancestry, but also your soul, which is so far beyond the human <laughs> realm, I think. And, yeah. Yeah, And so you have the root of your chart in Sagittarius and a lot of people I know who have the root of the chart in Sagittarius are people who are, um, folks who've been born in multicultural contexts. They might speak several different languages. They might have parents who are from different countries. They might grow up, um, saddling many different worlds. Um, these are people who have a lived experience of diversity, you know, and, and kind of, um, a perspective that encompasses many different cultural viewpoints generally um, you also have Neptune right there and Neptune is a generational placement so a lot of people who are around our age like folks who were born in the 70s um, into the early 80s have Neptune and Sagittarius and Neptune is a um, it's a dissolving influence and so it one of its high vibration lessons is the lesson of non-duality and oneness and how i've perceived neptune working is to break down the barriers of separation and i've noticed this a lot um, with people who i would say are like you or like me i would put this put myself in this category too like folks who study a lot of different wisdom paths But from jump, like from the moment that we're born, we are on a path and we are trying to find truth. We intuitively know a lot, you know, like, like you said, you know, from the time when you were a really young child, you were trying to remember what you already knew, you know, intuitively, you knew that you were connected to wisdom traditions, and you found many of them. But you're also a person who synthesizes them. And so you don't get um, into a kind of fundamentalist or dogmatic framework where, oh, this is the only path or you have to do it exactly this way. And we've talked about this in terms of um, your, your journey with yoga, with Ayurveda, with um, Ifa, that you, know, you are your own teacher, just like you, you just said. And um, you have to synthesize and, and blend and merge all these different streams that you're a part of. And that's a communicative function, it's an intelligence function, and it's an intuitive function. And um, when you were talking about the wind and how you're a child of the wind, um, you have Gemini at the top of your chart. Gemini is an air sign, and Gemini is ruled by the planet Mercury, and Mercury is often associated to the wind, as is Gemini. But especially Mercury, the mercurial energy is very wind-like. It blows in a million different directions. In tropical astrology, the air element relates to thought, communication, and transmission of information. And you have Mercury really high up in your chart. Um, it's, It's one of the highest planets in the chart, meaning that it's very visible. It's what you're bringing out into the world. It's part of your worldly gift and offering. Um, but Mercury is an assigned cancer, which is a homemaking, uh, bonding, familial energy and inclusive energy. And so your wind energy, you know, that would seek lots of different pieces of information and make sense of them and form connections between different pieces of information and then want to communicate and share that information out into the world. You're doing all of that with this... Um, beautiful come on in everyone like you call yourself a tour guide right it's like come on in everyone and get together and let's find ways that we can connect and share information and recognize ourselves as part of a greater family your approach is so inclusive and it's so generous and warm so anyway those were some of the thoughts i was i was having while i was listening to you and looking at at your chart placements just
1: living i'm just living the best chart life just living your best heart
0: life so with your so with this project um i mean you're working really hard on it how can people support you what do you want people to know about what you're doing and how can folks get involved and what do we need to know yeah i think
1: um it's really it's um really ironic funny i don't i don't know how to phrase it but you know I am always talking about how, you know, the healing needs to be done, you know, on an individual level, obviously, right? Because only we can do the work on ourselves, right? For ourselves, but when we do that, you know, I'm a firm believer that it should be done in community so that you don't feel isolated, so that you don't feel alone. you know, and also because a lot of our struggles are similar because, you know, we, we all live under the same oppressive systems, right? Um, and so I find, you know, and so I, I found a plot of land, right? like absolutely stunning, perfect. It's like everything I ever dreamed of and so much more, right? And, you know, I, I like to say that, Sometimes things um, appear in my life or happen in my life that are, that feels more like it's my ancestors' wildest dreams because they can dream so much more wilder than I can for mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what this land feels like. Um, and, you know, just the entire vision that I have for this project, sometimes it, it I'm blown away because it just feels so much. It feels so big that I'm just like, Oh my god, what am I am I really doing this? Like am I am I am I really doing this? Like whenever are you and it's like, Yes, you're really doing this mm-hmm. <laughs> And so like you know, and so I, I found it and you know, I I try to, you know, do everything on my own. I, I try to find a way to be able to, you know, buy it on my own and, and and, and you know, do everything on my own and the universe has a funny way of being like, uh uh like you're always talking about things that to be done in the community and so like here's you know your here's your time to actually turn around and be like, Okay, I tried to do this on my idea, you know. Um, and I just I can't and so I started a go fund me to raise a hundred thousand dollars so that I'm able to purchase the land, and, and so there's there's a, a bunch of different layers, and I, and I feel like the question that I've been asked the most is, like, okay, so you get this hundred grand, and then what? Like, then you have to build, and so, you know, what are you going to do about that, and et cetera, et cetera, and, and so I have, like, I, so I have enough for a down payment, but the way that the banks work here in the Dominican Republic is, basically, if they were One is I don't have enough credit history here, right? Um, You know, my bank account here in the Dominican Republic is only a couple months old. Um, But that aside, like, they won't give you a large amount unless you have something as some sort of, um, like, collateral, right? So, for example, if I wanted to take a loan out for 50 grand from a bank here, then I would need to have 50 grand in the bank, and I'm, I'm kind of, and for me, I'm just kind of like, well, doesn't it kind of defeat the purpose? Because if I had the money, I wouldn't need to borrow the money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so, and also just because it's land and, you know, the history of the banking system here in the Dominican Republic. So if I were to, if I, you know, not if, when, I'm just I'm going to speak in the affirmative. When, um, you know, I'm able to... Um, you know, raise the hundred grand with that and the down payment that I have, then I can take that and then also get a loan, right? To then match that so that I'm able to purchase the land and then begin building the project. Right. So, you know, there's, there's, um, this is a really thought out plan and there's a lot of details and because it's all in my head, That when I, you know, when I put the GoFundMe out there and when I, you know, have made the family and friends request, I don't realize or I didn't realize like how um, that was like the, the, that was going to be the biggest question being asked. Like, okay, so once you get the land, then what? And I'm like, oh, no, there's a plan for that. That's phase two, right? And I'm like, but phase two can't happen if phase one doesn't happen. And so that's why all of my energy and all of my focus is on raising 100 grand so that I can secure the land, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, so that's kind of where I'm at. I'm, I'm, you know, asking my community and the communities of my community to, you know, donate. There's, you know, no small, there's no such thing as a small amount, right? Every little bit counts. And, um, you know, I I got a good start, you know, to me, Marius, I'm like, all right. Like, we're, we're going somewhere and, and people are like, why aren't you sharing this on, like, your social media or, like, why aren't you, like, putting this out? And I'm like, because I'm still sitting in the shyness of, like, asking for donations and asking for help. And, you know, it's not um, something that comes easy to me. And I think that that's, there's a beautiful lesson in that for me, um, which you know, I'm sitting. I'm sitting with those lessons, and every time, you know, even just creating the GoFundMe, right, was me sitting with and working through um, some things, right. So I, I deeply appreciate this process and and everything that this process is teaching me. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at. I'm just kind of like, no donation is too small. Let's. Yeah. Let's get to 100K, you know, and, and I, I, I am on a bit of a timeline only because there's pressure from the lawyer of the, you know, the landowner who, you know, he's working on behalf, on behalf of the landowner and he's just kind of like, you know, he wants to sell, like, where are you? And I'm just kind of like, I just need time, I just need time. And so that's kind of like where the pressure is coming from and you know my baba today was just kind of like you know just breathe into it right if it's for you it's gonna happen and and um just you do your part and the spirits will do their part and so i'm here doing my part
0: yes yes yeah (laughs) um what is your vision of this place like in Five years or 10 years from now, like, what are you trying to build? What do you see? So, my, um,
1: well, let me let this uh, motorcycle pass by. My vision for, you know, is for, you know, in five to 10 years for it to just be everybody's sanctuary. You know, I, I, there's so, so let me just break down, like, what I envision for what the, center itself to look like so the first part is to actually have the retreat center and the design of the house that i want is for it to feel like a house to feel like one giant house obviously private rooms and private bathrooms and all and all that stuff but you know a large living space downstairs and you know i want the kitchen to be you know separate from the house and so that way there's like a huge large outdoor dining room area so that way you know in my mind it's like we all eat together right so the folks that are there um retreat and you know the folks that are that work there we're we're all able to kind of eat together and that it has this real sense of home and family and you know um I also want there to be a part of the land to be designated as like, you know, the farm <laughs> and for, you know, the folks that are working the farm to have, you know, a co-ownership type of, I, wa- I want it to be, a, you know, co- co-ownership type of thing where, you know, whatever food is, Plus, you know, it'll be obviously food to table, I mean, sorry, farm to table meals at the retreat center and the surplus of the food can, you know, the the workers can decide, you know, whether um, it, it gets split and they take it home or whether, you know, we sell it within the community and then the profits are what's shared. Um, so that's something that isn't fully decided, but something that will be decided collectively, you know, with whoever decides, you know, to work at, at the center and, you know, and I, and I, I envision it to be a space where, you know, I'm, it's not just me holding retreats. It's not just me having like, you know, yoga teacher trainings for VIP, POC folks and, uh, you know, queer folks, but also other. Other healers to come and hold space for their communities, right? And not just the other healers, but other creatives, right? So you know, whether it's writers or um, artists, and you know, just you know, with a heavy focus on the BIC, BIPOC communities and the queer communities to be able to come and to be able to come and to to afford to hold retreats, right? Mm-hmm. Where like having a large profit margin isn't like that's not the end goal the goal is to be able to have this space and for it to be a safe space for people to come and be in community with each other in an area of the Dominican Republic that to me is absolutely stunning Mm -hmm. you know um it's 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 located in the province of Barahona which they call the pearl of the south and you know, the land in and of itself is in a town called Paraiso, which is paradise. And it really, really, really feels like paradise, right? There's like two um two beaches nearby where the river meets the ocean. And I just can't tell you and I just I just am always at a loss for words, um, when it comes to when I, when I think of this place. Um, and so, yeah, and I just, I just want it to be a place where, where folks come and they feel like they can relax and, you know, just kind of sink into the essence of like everything that they are.
0: Can you talk a little bit about your relationship to retreat and also your intention for having a space that can host BIPOC and queer communities, um, as well as being accessible to your local community. Like why is it important for people to be able to access this work?
1: Why isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think, you know, so... A trait about me, uh, when I travel, when I go places, is I tend to become friends with the employees of the places, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was no different when I went down and stayed in Barahona, just so um, you know I could do my my research, right, of of, of the the land and stuff like that, but um, just. Let me make sure I'm spoken, okay, and just, um, you know, just learning about the ways in which the, the folks who work in the hotel industry in that area, and I'm pretty sure across the country, are not treated well, not paid well, and that really got under my skin. And, you know, when I was there in December with some, you know, sister friends of mine, one of them is a union organizer. And I, you know, I remember turning to her and being like, yo, so, um, you ready to come here and like, uh, organize and unionize these workers because this is ridiculous. So, you know, the Dominican Republic is the top destination for tourism in all of the Caribbean and number four in all of like, you know, central South America and it really bothers me that, you know, there's so much money in this industry, right? And the industry wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the workers. And for them to not be paid well, them not to be treated well, it just just really, really gets under my skin. And, you know, for me, I envision, you know, not being able to pay the folks that work at the retreat center well right so that they themselves can you know be able to vacation in their own country right cuz a lot of you talk to a lot of the workers and like they don't they don't make enough to even be able to go on vacation in their own country right and and i just i wouldn't be able to live with myself if the folks who would be working at the retreat center you know had that kind of experience so for me, it's really, really important for for all of that to, to be established and for them to feel like they're a part of this vision, right? And, and also just not, not only on that side, but to, you know, open up the space for the community. You know, my my, my vision is to be able to hold, you know, Spanish... A yoga classes taught in Spanish for the community, right? And for it to be free for the community or, you know, if there's any other way in which the community wants to utilize the space to, to make it available to them, right? So that it's not just some, some like, you know, retreat center, you know, or some quote unquote hotel or something that's part of the, the tourist industry that is coming to, you know, um, mistreat and abuse the community but more that it's a part of and infused into the community
0: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and then you're also planning on on doing programming at the retreat center that's specifically going to um cater to to yes. bypass participants but also qu- queer folks and Yes. Um, What does that look like for you? I mean, that's pretty different than any retreat center I've heard about. Well,
1: you know, I think, like, um, as time goes on, I get more uh, centered in who it is that I want to hold space for, you know, and and who are the folks who are living at the margins who need this, who need this the most, right, Um, who want this the most. And for me, like, I remember I had so much anxiety when I started to teach my BIPOC yoga classes in the Bay. And I was like, oh, my God, like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this space specifically for BIPOC. And, you know, am I ready for, like, whatever backlash I might get? And there's, like, obvious, like, internal stories. And, I, you know, and then I did it, and I was like, are you kidding me? And I was like, this is my favorite class to teach. Yeah. You know, um, to be able to to hold this kind of space for my folks and and to be able to weave, you know, a, a yoga sequence and a yoga class in which like I am um able to like call out, you know, capitalism and white supremacy and the ways in which like we need to decolonize our minds and have everyone in the class like deeply understand that. And like to make uh, these connections and to just feel safe. Right. And for me, that's the biggest thing is that people feel safe, safe enough to like take off that armor that they have to wear when they're walking the streets and navigating life. Yeah. And, and to take that off and to be in a space to actually lean into their wholeness and their essence and and everything right and, and and to me that that's just like it i just you know if i could do that all day every day i would you know and 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 then i took it a step further and created you know the sacred ritual course which is an eight week meditation course for just women of color right? Any woman identified of color. And so that was like, I was like, okay, here I am. Like, I'm really stepping into creating these spaces for specific groups of people, understanding the value in that, right? So it would be no different at the retreat center, right? It's just that now I don't have to worry about finding space because I can have space, right, and and taking it even further because now, you know, I'm in a PhD program at CIIS, you know, in, in, in um, East-West Psychology, and my focus is on death and dying and grief work, and, you know, so the idea is to just, like, extend this work into holding retreats and workshops and all kinds of things to, to really look at the ways in which we don't, (laughs) right, Um, talk about death and dying and grief and, you know, expanding it to not just about like, how do you process grief when you physically, you know, lose someone and, and tying in the spiritual aspect of that, right, of, you know, both in my spiritual practice of ifa and, you know, even in the tradition of yoga. You know there is this idea and this concept of like reincarnation right and and for me the honoring of the ancestors is, is deep and so you know being able to hold space for what is the experience of grief right when you're able to cultivate relationships with folks who have passed on who are now ancestors and what does that mean what does that look like right but then also just like how do we deal with you know, death, dying, and grief work on an everyday basis when it comes to things that are not a physical person, right? Like the death of a relationship, or the death of a job, or the death of some part of your identity, Mm. right? Um, And the ways in which, like, we don't really allow space to grieve those things, or what does that even look like? What does that mean, right? Mm. Um, So all of the ways in which, like, all of these different concepts, like, weave into each other, and again, it's really just about allowing ourselves to hold space for the entirety of who we are, right? So, you know, like being able to experience joy, right, while holding space where maybe you're grieving something, right? Or, you know, just to, like, you know, just basically holding space for the wide gamut of our human experience how to do that and how do we do that with tangible
0: tools
1: Mm -hmm. and how do we do that in community
0: um yeah i got chills (laughs) listening to you talk about (laughs) that and um yeah i was thinking about how the synthesis that you offer you know this this blending of the the work around death and dying and grief um you're training with yoga and Ayurveda and kind of elemental healing systems. And then also your priestess work, um, it feels like you... The image that I have is like a nest that you're building that has so many different... um, So many different pathways for support and for transformation. And when I think about that happening in the Caribbean, that it is going to be offered through through your your home right like through your body through your voice in the place that you came from um that there's so much work that needs to happen to decolonize and to 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 remember ourselves to come back to our bodies and that you are going to be doing this um you know, in a way that is not only synthesizing these various streams, but bringing people together, your teachers that you're bringing, or your facilitators, the folks who would travel to come to these um, these events, and then also with the local community. I just keep getting this vision of um, of you kind of really, be, you know, being on this priestess path and holding this sacred temple where – initiates can come through or people you know people seeking healing uh can come through and you're just there you're just there being this child of the wind you know like picking up these different um these different threads different ways of articulating something and then weaving them into the same nest yeah such a beautiful vision
1: from 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 your lips to ancestors and all the spirits ears. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I mean that's you know, I mean I feel like that's definitely I I don't think I've ever held something as a vision in my mind for as long as I've held this retreat center in my in my heart, in my spirit, in my mind. Like when I tell you that like I just I see it so clearly um that there are moments where i thought that it would always just live as a as a dream as a vision and so you know now that it's like becoming more tangible obviously it's like bringing up all these other feelings of like oh my god yeah <laughs> can this really be real <laughs> yeah. you know and 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 then i i have to just you know i have to just do the do the work on my on myself right of being like okay voices let's quiet down yeah and let's just like lean into you know all the work that you've done to get to this point and have faith like have faith in your community have faith that this will work out have faith that this will pan out and that this vision that you've been holding on to so dearly so sacredly for so long like it's, it's almost time for it to sprout. You know, it's like, it's like a seed that I've been keeping warm for so long. And like, I can kind of see it cracking open. And like, the leaf is wants to come out. And it's like, it's ready to come out. (laughs) Um, so you know, I'm trying to ground myself in in that and, and hope that, you know, I I have a successful GoFundMe and and just able to move forward with, like, actually strengthening this into, like, something concrete, you
0: know? Hey, everyone. Well, welcome back to me. (laughs) Um, I hope that you enjoyed meeting Minerva and hearing about Roots Healing and Minerva's intentions for this retreat center, and her future life, I hope that you will right now go to her fundraiser and send her some funds. As she said, no donation is too small. And please share the information about her project and this fundraiser with everybody that you can think of. All of the information about her fundraiser is in the show notes. Um, so Minerva's story and her journey with roots healing, I think is such an amazing illustration of a Venus cycle. And as she shared about in 2013, she was in a process of thinking, uh, that she was doing one thing with her life, having her life show her that she was going to be doing something else. And then by 2017, she was at another, Um, important crossroads with it. And now she is manifesting or she's trying to manifest this vision. She is manifesting this vision. Um, Some of the things that I kind of want to draw out in this journey that she's gone on have to do with Venus, particularly in relationship to values and pleasure. So Venus is a planet and in tropical astrology, the planets and the signs relate to one another and the signs are considered to have planetary rulers which means that there are certain planets that most purely embody a sign's function and energy venus is the planetary ruler of both taurus and libra taurus is an earth sign and when we think about taurus we want to think about the earthly realm the bodily realm and the material realm and As a Venusian energy, uh, Taurus has a lot to do with our body's sensuality and pleasure. Um, Some of what I've talked about with Minerva, um, not necessarily in the conversation that you heard, but throughout the course of our conversations over the last couple of years, has been about the space of embodiment and the way that each of us as somatic explorers and guides have worked to understand our own relationship with our bodies. And through Minerva's story, you heard a little bit about the way that she has come onto her path or into her path with embodiment, with um, somatic practices, with yoga, with Ayurvedic healing, and now with this potential retreat center. So one of the ways that we can understand Venus as it moves through its cycles and as we track it through the phases in our lives has to do with our embodiment and our awareness of our sensory material selves. As you think back to these dates, 2013, 2017, uh, June of 2020, and now, how are you in relationship with your body How are you in relationship with pleasure and with sensory pleasure? And because these cycles teach us about refinement and maturation of our bodily pleasure, it's definitely important to unpack pleasure a little bit and to think about the ways that we may be marketed certain forms of pleasure, capitalist pleasure or consumptive pleasure or fleeting sensory pleasures um, that really take the place of a deeper pleasure or may serve to mask uh, displeasure or wounding in our lives in some way. I personally can think of many different ways I've reached for pleasure whether it's food or drugs or sex or an escape or a purchase of some kind like some material object that I'm going to reach for because I think you know maybe it'll make me happy and It might not even be a conscious thought that leads me to reach for whatever it is. It could be a habit. It could be something that I was taught to reach for by society or by my family or by a partner or something like that. So how do you reach for pleasure and how have you been learning about what embodied authentic pleasure really means for you? Have you been learning to be in your body in different ways? Have you been coming into connection with um, ways that you've learned to relate with your body or to relate with your bodily satisfaction uh, that have been updated as you think back on these cycles and, and with these times? Now, Taurus also relates with wealth and property and land, as I mentioned earlier, And when we think about uh, Venus's cycles, we can also think about our relationships to money. We can think about how we've uh, involved ourselves with the idea of possession or ownership. Taurus is an energy that wants to accumulate and wants to have and wants to build its earthly stability and solidity. And in whatever ways we might Um, try to collect circumstances or materials or resources or relationships that feel like they might keep us stable and steady or they might make us stronger or they might help us feel like we're going to be permanent or we exist at all. Um, These are also experiences that are going to go through processes of refinement and reflection and maturation. Venus is also the planetary ruler of Libra. And Libra is an air sign. All of the air signs relate with information and the transmission or the sharing of information. And Libra relates to the information that arises within the context of relationship, uh, particularly Uh, you know, the exchange or something like that. So I can give you this if you give me that. And here we come into the notion of value as a relational currency. Libra is a sign that is commonly also associated with partnership and marriage. And here I feel like it's important to just um, acknowledge that marriage you know exists in a lot of different ways but one of the ways that marriage has existed is as a form of of property and ownership and um a- accumulation and kind of what's the word I'm looking for like um consolidation of wealth and particularly in the western world um We can see the origins of marriage coming up through patriarchy, through Christianity, uh, through colonization, as a means to get control of people's bodies, of property, and maintain control, etc. So when we're thinking about values and relational values, I definitely think it's also important to uh, examine where our values are coming from. And... You may have the experience, like I've had the experience, of recognizing that some, if not many, of your relational values uh, were basically given to you or programmed into you um, by a dominant power that you don't actually agree with. And I don't know about you, but I've certainly woken up in many of my relationships realizing that ways of being that I was either trying to embody or that I was hoping my partner would embody are not actually ways of being that I want anything to do with or certain kinds of aesthetics or um, or values that I thought you know might make my relationship, the thing that I thought it was supposed to be actually have nothing to do with my lived experience in that relationship or the way that it it feels to me psychically, spiritually, emotionally, physically. Value in relationship is always there. No matter who you're coming into connection with, there's going to be a question of why, you know, what what's this relationship going to do for you? What's it going to bring to you? And What are you bringing to it? You know, are are you valuable in this relationship? I think probably all of us have had the experience of wanting to be in relationship, you know, and um, wondering if somebody wanted us back. And that's definitely a question of value. And so when we're tuning in with Venus in its Libra manifestation, we want to think about the currency of relationship and the value of relationship. And now, as you think back to 2013, 2017, and June of 2020, what have you been learning? Uh, How have you been developing in regards to your values when they arise in relationship, in regards to the way that you value yourself in relationship, or that you value others? And what are the values that you are uh, forming your relationships with and, and on? you know, because they build the foundations of our connections with one another. So when we're thinking about Venus's cycle, we want to think about the periods when Venus is um, in its morning star phase or in its evening star phase. And as I mentioned earlier, it can be a little counterintuitive um, because the morning star phase is actually related to Venus's descent in the kind of mythic interpretation and the evening star phase is related to Venus's ascent. So from the inferior conjunction to the superior conjunction, this is a period of time when we are symbolically traveling into the underworld and we are may be asked to to kind of reckon with our values and reckon with our attachments and the Venus ruled um, kind of symbolic experiences. So now as you think back to June of 2020, and you consider the last nine months, or however long it's been, if you're far in the future, think about the span of time between June of 2020, and uh, March of 2021, basically the end of March of 2021. In that period of time, uh, how have you been um, working on communication? What have you been trying to learn? And are there new relationships or new ways of relating that you've been trying to call into your life? Um, These are some themes that definitely have to do with Gemini. And then we might just more broadly think about relationships, values, and attachments, self-worth, self-esteem in general as themes of Venus and, and that Venus carries. Now, as you think about this span of time, consider how you may have been going through some kind of internal process or descent process. And I know for me, this definitely feels really accurate when I feel into my own experience in this span of time. Uh, When I think back to June, I (laughs) imagine a self that had a certain set of ideas and certain set of values that I wasn't questioning at the time. And in the span of time between June of 2020 and March of 2021, I definitely uh, experienced a descent of, of sorts. And um, that experience for me is a personal one, I won't talk about it so much, but The the lessons that I've learned in this time um, and that I still am learning have a lot to do with really needing to examine the values that I thought I had and also really needing to work on my self-worth and my self-esteem and my own value. And in relationship to my own value, really trying to define and refine for myself what I value in my important relationships, um, my one-on-one relationships, my friend relationships, but honestly, even my relationship with you, who I might not know, but as a human being, who I know is going to be listening to my voice, um, I've definitely been in a, a significant process with myself around how do I want to be in relationship? How do I want to take up space? How am I using my voice? How am I connecting with my own power? What information am I wanting to share, etc. This has been a really powerful time for me in clarifying many of my own values so i'm recording this in march as i've mentioned now a number of times and venus has just formed its superior conjunction and now over the course of the next nine months or so venus will be in its ascending cycle and so we can think about this period of time as a time when we are now starting to um, move out of this descent or this more internal self-reflective process and Whenever we've gone through a process like that, we're not going to emerge the same. If you've ever um, gone through a death process, whether that's a literal death or more of a metaphoric death, um, to, to go through that threshold, that transformation of incredible loss or the need to really grapple With what's happening internally or inside of you is not going to leave you the same person. You will come out in a different space. Your values will have shifted. And this is the phase that we're in right now. And over the course of these next nine months, we need to restructure and realign in our lives so that we are working in a more updated and refined fashion with these new values. Now, I want to give a a kind of special little note about the superior conjunction that Venus made with the sun on the 25th, because just a couple of days later, which is the day that I'm recording on March 28th, there was a full moon. And this is also the day uh, that the sun formed its conjunction with Chiron and Venus formed its conjunction with Chiron in Aries. So Chiron um, is a, a fascinating, um, celestial object is considered to be a centaur planet. I've worked a lot with Chiron. I'm definitely a student of it. I don't feel like I'm an expert at all, but I have offered a class on Chiron that you can find on my website, embodiedastrology.com, that deals with the transit of Chiron in Aries, which is an eight-year transit. Um, there's an astrologer who I love named Melanie Reinhardt who's written a couple of really fabulous books on Chiron if you're interested in learning more. Chiron, as I understand it, is a symbol of ancestral and intergenerational pain and healing, pain patterns, and healing projects. And sometimes Chiron is referred to as the healing journey or the wounded healer and its symbolism points to where our pain and our suffering give way to learning and give way to healing. I'm sure you've experienced in your own life that a painful point for you or a place of great suffering in your life has actually built a container um, that allows you to have capacity for other people who are going through similar experiences. Um, You've probably gleaned some teaching from your own experience, some wisdom from your own experience that then allows you to be a mentor and a healer for others. So we want to think about this kind of energy with Chiron symbolism, but we want to take it into an intergenerational and an ancestral context. Chiron has a 50-year orbit around the sun. If you think back to 50 years ago, this was kind of the height of the civil rights era, uh, late 1960s, early 1970s. And just with those words, um, we might kind of think about a correspondence between uh, these two different generational um, environments and the way that The the folks who were leaders um, in the '60s and the '70s have given language and context and so much guidance um, for the leaders who are emerging now um, in in a struggle for civil rights and a struggle for equality and justice. And the the pain hasn't stopped. You know these cycles of suffering um, haven't stopped. They're still here. And we can see that ancestral healing is also happening. And we can reach into the past for vocabulary. We can um, lean upon the work of our elders and our ancestors and take this work now into the future. And so with Chiron in Aries, we have a symbol of ancestral and intergenerational healing and pain, pain patterns and healing patterns in a sign that specifically points to a couple of key themes. So first of all, Aries is an energy that relates with the self, the self identity. This is before a constructed identity, which is mental. So it's before your name, it's before your gender, it's before uh, any of the constructions that you might wrap around who you think you are. It's the feeling of self, it's the feeling of I ...ness, of me ness, and that feeling is a is a primal feeling. It's an animalistic, instinctual feeling. When you say I, and if you make a statement right now about something that you really believe or that you feel passionate about, you'll feel in your body your resounding I ness. And if you were to imagine defending yourself or getting into an argument that was personal in its tone, um, and you know making a statement that begins or includes, you know, I or me, um, you can feel the way that your body, that your soma coheres around your sense of self. And that sense of self requires protection, and it also requires defense that sense of self needs to fight for its own autonomy it needs to assert itself it needs to be able to go out and get what it wants and get what it needs and this is a lot of the energy of Aries really it is an instinctual energy and it is an energy that is absolutely necessary if we're going to exist in our separate bodies which we have to do here on the planet earth this energy can also be really dysfunctional and messed up. Um, A a sense of self that is really cohered around protectiveness or defense or aggressive assertion of what it wants or what it thinks it needs can create incredible violence and can oppress others and can uh, be a real jerk to be around, right? A real narcissist. So, thinking about Chiron and Aries, one of the things that I think about are the ways that the sense of self gets distorted. And we might feel our senses of self get distorted through either a kind of hyperactive self, a self that is very defensive, very protective, uh, aggressive, violent, etc., or Potentially a hypoactive or kind of an underactive self, a self that can't find itself, that's constantly conceding or compromising or trying to act a role for what it thinks that other people want and need. And it's scrambling to find a, any safe space to exist. We've probably all experienced the spectrum, you know, between these different polarities. And certainly in our world right now, uh, we we can see this, and there have been so many examples. Um, I mean, constantly, constant examples of of selves that are really on a destructive path, or selves that um, you know don't don't have any sense of self, and and can't stand up to another person, or or is completely enmeshed, you know, and um, uh, complicit with within some relationship or larger system. So um, I don't need to give the examples, you just need to read the news, right? You just need to look out your window and there's plenty of examples out there. And right now in 2021 and coming out of 2020, uh, there are gross examples, there are disgusting examples, there are massive examples of, um, of individuals who are aggressive in their assertion of trying to maintain their own power. And so here I want to take this a level further and say that Aries is a sign that is commonly associated with masculinity um, and men. And I don't only want to restrict this to people with penises because uh, people with other anatomy can definitely um, embody Masculinity for sure, and definitely can embody toxic masculinity or fragile masculinity. Um, But when we think about the construction of masculinity within our society as a construction of a warrior or a hero or someone who's really strong or a person that has a lot of power, and then we look and, you know, look at global leaders and world leaders and see that it's majority men. This is also a time when a lot of the gross examples of individual violence and assertion are coming through uh, male-bodied persons, or they're coming through uh, any any bodies to uphold the supremacy of male-bodied persons, and certainly to uphold supremacy and dominance wherever it is whether it's white supremacy, male supremacy, Christian supremacy, class supremacy, um, when we look at these gross examples of individuals being violent in the world, more often than not, uh, the grossest examples, the most disgusting displays of this kind of violence are happening at an institutional level, and they're coming through um, individuals who have a a huge amount of power. And of course, we see this um, everywhere. We see this in all relationships and people of all classes, all genders, all races, et cetera. But especially um, when we're looking at kind of the people versus (laughs) the power, we want to look at where do these patterns come from, right? And how are they perpetuated and how are we complicit in them? How do we continue to support them or how do we fight against them? And I think that right now in March of 2021, um, there's a kind of incredible awakening that is happening for a lot of people and this awakening has to do with a lot of things but one of the things it definitely has to do with is information and the dissemination of information and the fact that for the first time ever in human history we can share information with one another rapidly and pretty accurately I can take a video of something that's happening to me, put it on social media, and within seconds, people around the world can see it. That is incredible. That has never happened in our history before. And so something is happening right now um, in regards to the dissemination of information, the rapidity of information and its accessibility that is allowing power structures to be revealed in a different kind of way and what i would say is like a mass consciousness that many 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 people are now being confronted with presented with information about dominant structural institutional power and power imbalances and this news certainly can continue to be ignored but i think in large part it's not and a lot of people are starting to uh, recognize that there are certain archetypal embodiments of power that they don't want to participate with anymore. I've talked to a number of clients. I've watched it on the news. I see it on social media and I experience it in myself. So as I'm thinking about Venus's cycle and the phase that we're moving into between March and December of 2021, I really want to call in um, awareness of some larger structural transformations and societal changes that are taking place. Throughout the course of Venus's transit in Aries, it is by sign and at the end of its cycle uh, in Aries, it will be um, by degree in a square with Pluto and Capricorn. In Embodied Astrology, I've talked a lot about Pluto and Capricorn. You can listen back to many episodes um, to find information about it. As a kind of quick summary, I want to say that Pluto is a death, dying, decaying, and transforming force. What it does is it uh, brings what has decayed, it brings kind of like a toxic, the toxic sludge to the surface and it forces us to deal with it. Um, in our personal lives, we may feel this as the kind of more regressive or shadowy parts of our personas and psyches becoming more apparent we may feel ourselves you know being driven by certain urges that our conscious minds don't want anything to do with right like jealousy or competitiveness or violence or lust or things like that you know where we might feel our our conscious minds might feel these desires and be like ah that's not what i want but then we might feel ourselves actually being driven by it being compelled by them And so, as a personal process with Pluto, it benefits us to look at what is coming up from underneath in our deep unconscious or our subconscious? What do we need to look at? What are the monstrous parts of ourselves? And I love this quote from Ursula Le Guin that says, people who deny the existence of dragons are often eaten by dragons from within. I think that that's kind of like a perfect paraphrase for Pluto. We have to turn within to look at the dragons that live in us because all of us carry seeds for violence. All of us carry seeds for, um, oppression and exploitation. We've all come up in this world that, you know, in, in and of itself has been built on so many conditions of unnecessary harm and we all carry those structures and those seeds inside of us and we will perpetuate them until we make them conscious. And so part of our work together is to make these parts of ourselves conscious to look at where, uh, we might have internalized, um, violence towards ourselves or towards others. There's a lot of people are talking about, you know, like defund the cop in your head (laughs) and, and look at that, you know, internalized force of punishment, um, or a kind of like the 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 carceral voice inside of your head you know that oh my gosh you've done something wrong you you deserve nothing but pain like I'm gonna lock this part of me up now that's a function that exists inside of us in our own psyches and it's also a function that exists in our society and the function in society builds the function in our psyches So Pluto in Capricorn is an interesting kind of proposition. Capricorn is an earth sign. It relates to structures that have been built by dominant power. This is true in uh, our bodies. Um, Capricorn is the ruler of the skeleton and a dominant power for our skeleton is gravity and our bones are built through pressure and force. Um, Capricorn would rule the crust layer of the earth. And so we can think of a mountain range as a kind of Capricorn structure um, built by a dominant force, a shifting of tectonic plates. Um, And we can definitely think about Capricorn in society, the structures that have been built by dominant power over time. These are structures of capitalism, uh, whiteness, white supremacy, patriarchy, religion, um, male supremacy, etc. So if we look at these structures now, Um, many of them are toxic, right? And in some state of decay, and this is certainly becoming very apparent, uh, especially in our global moment of mass dissemination of information and revealing of uh, kind of the, the toxic foundations of many of these structures. So Throughout Venus's transit of Aries, and this is the beginning of Venus's uh, second portion of the cycle, Venus will be square with Pluto in Capricorn. Now, this aspect of a square uh, asks us to reckon with ourselves in relationship to these dominant uh, structures of power, and control. So we might feel that we are going through some kind of process where we have to push back against an authoritative system or an authoritative person or some internalized authority that we f- we feel confined uh, by or somehow harmed by in ourselves. Um, this is also a time when m- many people are having the embodied experience of dominant systems and authoritative structures uh, in their violence. And so there's a movement of individuals to fight against these systems and to transform them. And so one of the symbols uh, that I'm taking from this triple conjunction of Sun, Chiron, Venus is that this is a time that societally we are examining our values and that we need to look at the roots of violence, particularly the roots of masculine violence, the roots of supremacist and dominant violence, and we need to transform the structures in our society and also in ourselves and in our relationships that would perpetuate and promote those violences. Over the course of the next nine months, Venus will transit through the Zodiac uh, into Capricorn. And on December 19th, Venus will station retrograde conjunct with Pluto. Venus will then uh, retrograde um. Uh, back into an earlier degree of Capricorn, which is square to Venus's current placement at the full moon in its um, triple conjunction with the Sun and Chiron. It'll station direct there, and then it will continue on. And in that retrograde phase, um, in early January of 2021, Venus will form its inferior conjunction with the sun. And so that then brings us into a new Venus cycle. And again, that's a descending cycle when we're going to be taking a descent, uh, going into ourselves, trying to process and reckon with and uh, refine. But between now and then, It is an interesting time to consider our roles and our responsibilities as individuals who live in society with one another, in relationship to one another, and in contractual agreements with one another. Venus as the ruler of Libra is a symbol for equity, fairness, justice, and right relationship. Um, Libra as a symbol of balance teaches us that there is no static space of balance balance is a constant negotiation if you take a walk and you want to stay balanced you have to shift left foot right foot left foot right foot if you've watched a vine growing up a tree it spirals around the tree so anything in the natural world that is seeking balance is finding its balance through constant oscillation relationship and negotiation As we move through these next nine months, um, we have an opportunity to come into a greater state of harmony and balance with ourselves, with one another, and with our environment and larger world. And how do we do that? We have to look in at ourselves. And this is really the lesson, I think, of Venus and Aries. We have to look at our own impulses, at our motivations, at the ways that we reach in quest for pleasure. We have to look at how we define pleasure and unpack for ourselves how we've come to these definitions and how we've landed upon the values that we have. We may need to renegotiate and redefine what we value. And I think if, if we consider back over the last nine months, many of us have been doing this work. Over the next nine months, how do we bring this into action? in our own bodies, in our own lives? How do we formalize these values? How do we communicate about them? How do we instill them in our families and relationships? How do we celebrate them? How do we put them into practice? How do we practice them in all levels of relationship? How do we practice them with our resources, with our money, with our relationship to the world? How do we transform knowledge and wisdom and what we teach and share with one another so that these values are more deeply integrated and embodied? And then as we move into Venus's um, next cycle, beginning in Capricorn, we are going to be looking at a a restructuring um, of our values. And the last thing that I want to say here uh, has to do with Libra, and this is a little bit of a diversion into some other astrology. Maybe I'll put out another episode this year about Mercury retrograde. So just as an aside, in 2021, Mercury, um, well, any year, Mercury will have three retrograde phases. And in 2021, all three of its phases are in the air signs. Um, So this is special. This is significant that all of Mercury's retrogrades are in air. Mercury is a symbol that speaks to us of communication, of speaking, of disseminating information, and also of making sense of information. And so when Mercury is transiting air, and especially when it's retrograding in air, we are renegotiating our relationship to information, and we are restructuring how our minds and communications and agreements are working. So Mercury will um, go through its third retrograde, which now I'm kind of forgetting the dates, but you can look it up or I'll just take this moment to open my ephemeris as I talk to you. Um, So later in this year, um, Mercury will be going through its third and final retrograde in um, Libra. And this will occur, I can tell you now, September 27th through October 18th. Mercury will be retrograde from 25 to 10 degrees of Libra. Always remember to include the shadow phase. The shadow phase begins on September 7th and it will end on November 4th. Um, so really September 7th through November 4th, we're working with Mercury and Libra. And I think that this will be an interesting time, um, especially for those of us in, in the U S or those of us who are watching the U S and what's happening in the political sphere. Um, Libra is a sign that's definitely associated to judges and to the law. And of course, to this notion of justice and, um, there's a lot that's that's happening in the U.S. right now uh, in relationship to voting rights, in um, inequality and equity and rebalancing or redistribution of wealth. Um, a lot of legislation that's trying to get passed. Um, so there's definitely a lot to pay attention to. And... My prediction, and I don't often make predictions, so this one won't be super nuanced, but my prediction is that um, over the course of this year, and I think especially around Mercury's retrogrades, we're going to see quite a lot of, of shifting in legislation and hopefully um, progressive legislation passing uh <laughs> passing through um and changing the the landscape a little bit. Um as you may know in March just this past week um A number of states, and uh, Georgia has has succeeded in doing this, have been trying to push through legislation that block uh, voting, and particularly that block voting from black, brown, and poor communities. Um, And there's definitely a pushback, and I think throughout the year we're going to be watching this. And there will probably be some significant movement around Mercury's retrograde in Libra. But as we get into the end of the year, as Venus moves into Capricorn, and remember Capricorn has to do with structures that have been built over time by dominant powers, um, we might really start to see some interesting restructuring. So that's kind of in a uh, somewhat small US-centric, you know, Political interpretation. Uh, we can definitely think about the Venus cycle in relationship to climate and environment. Venus, as the ruler of Taurus, of course, always signifies land, earth, body, food, and the natural resources of the earth. We are also in definitely a moment of reckoning and restructuring. Um, And hopefully by the end of the year, there will be um, new movement on climate goals and different kinds of um, kind of global community support for those goals to be achieved. Um, But definitely also think about your relationships your relationships to groups, your relationships to others, and your relationships to yourself and to your body and to the earth as you consider these Venus cycles. And no matter when you're listening, um, think about where Venus is in your chart. And it's always great to get a chart reading, but you can get a lot of information for free on the internet. And you can get free charts at astro.com. You can get a free chart on my website, embodiedastrology.com in the horoscope section. And look to see where Venus is in your chart, because you can learn so much about Venus's placement. Um, You can learn a lot about your relationship style the ways that you might naturally be giving and receptive what your love languages are you can learn about your receptivity um, how you uh, receive compliments you know how you take in relationship you can learn a lot about money and wealth and resources and how to um, earn and manifest as well as how to share and how to give so there's a lot of information interesting information that you can learn through Venus's sign and house placement. And I definitely would recommend checking that out. Finally, um, The last thing I'll say is that another really important signature of this year of 2021 is the closing or the uh, disseminating square between Saturn and Uranus. And um, if you check out my 2021 offerings, I've definitely talked a lot about this aspect. Um, This is a huge restructuring aspect. Um, If anybody's wondering you won't know what's going on until the end of the year. This is a year when so much is up in the air. Um, Answers are not clear. Everything needs to get restructured. And so if you're feeling like your life is out of control and you don't know what's happening, try and breathe and tell yourself that chaos is the mother of invention. There's a huge amount of creativity and potential in spaces of unknown, and you are not alone. The rest of the world is there with you. Everybody in some way, shape, or form is wondering what's going on and wondering what to do next. Um, But as I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, Taurus is a sign that's ruled by Venus. Uranus is currently moving through Taurus. There's a lot of upheaval, especially in regards to the environment, to wealth, to resources, and to values. And one of the ways that I feel most excited about this energy. And I want to be clear here that as an astrologer, I trust that we can work with astrology and we can lessen uh, the potentially negative consequences or uh, manifestations of hard transits by working with its energy. I've experienced this in my life. I get feedback from clients all the time. When we work consciously with these influences, we give an an outlet to their energies, we can direct them in ways that are beneficial. Um, So if you're worried about economic instability, uh, and you know, who's not these days, I think a lot of people are, I would encourage you to look into mutual aid and to look into crowdfunding, not even necessarily as a source of support for yourself, but as a way to engage with support for others. Because things are changing and capitalism has not always existed and it won't always exist. And there are other ways that we can live that are less detrimental to our bodies, to our relationships and to our earth. And we are starting to practice them. And plenty of people have practiced them for a long time and are like shaking their heads and rolling their eyes as they hear this. Um, but this is, is going to be a, a, necessary next step I think for our global community Um, we have to move past uh, monetary exchange and we certainly have to move past um, currencies that are based in extraction exploitation and the devaluation of human life and labor ways that we can do that sharing economies share what you have And when you share, you make friends, and you build community, and who knows what will flow into your life um, because of that. Abundance grows in conditions of generosity. So I'm going to leave it at that, and I'm going to say, please donate to Minerva's fundraiser and help get Roots Healing its permanent home. It's going to be a center of healing and uh, wellness and equilibrium and rebalancing, and that healing and wellness and equilibrium and rebalancing will ripple out into the world, and even if you never journey to the Dominican Republic and never go to Roots Healing as a center Its existence in this world will make your life better. So please donate to the fundraiser. Again, you can find the links in the show notes. And I will be donating, um, along with some of my personal funds, I'll be donating 10 of um, my readings um, throughout April and May to this fundraiser. I'm donating eight individual readings and two couples or relationship sessions. Um, Several of these sessions have a set cost to them and you can purchase them and sign up immediately. And uh, four of my individual sessions will also be offered by a raffle. So I want to make my sessions accessible financially. um, The set prices that I'm that I'm offering these sessions for are set high. Uh, And I know that there are folks out there who can pay for them. So if you're one of those people and you've been waiting for reading with me, come on, let's do it. Um, And then the raffles begin at $50. So for any donation of $50 or more to Roots Healing, your name gets submitted to the raffle and four people will get a session with me, a chart reading session. So you can find all of that information in the show notes. You can also find it on my website, embodiedastrology.com, from the menu um, where you just need to look for astro sessions. You'll find it there. All right, y'all. I'm going to leave it at that. If you want more embodied astrology in your life, please become an extended content subscriber. Every month, you will get two uh, recordings or live meetups with me. You'll get to join me to explore the upcoming month's astrology, to do embodiment practice around the astrology, and then our second meetup, or Astro of Tea Time, is a place where community is building and forming, and we get together to converse about astrology and share our questions and observations about it. You'll also get my month-ahead calendars and interpretations, as well as tools for tracking astrology and working with it in your own life. Subscribers also get discounts on all of my online classes and year-ahead readings, and you can subscribe by donation at any amount. You can also follow me on Instagram at Embodied Astrology, where I post regular astro updates and more thanks for listening everyone i am wishing you all the best in this venus cycle and beyond bye for now